coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a good Thursday to you. If you were wondering what that giant thud was this morning between 8.30 and 10 a.m., it was a collection of jaws dropping as Sidney Powell, Donald Trump attorney Sidney Powell, did an about-face and took a plea deal, which means now she's going to be cooperating with prosecutors who seek to take down Rudy Giuliani, Jeff Clark, and a fellow by the name of Donald Trump when it comes to election interference in the state of Georgia. In accepting this plea deal, Sidney Powell, pleading guilty to six misdemeanor charges, will get 12 months of probation for each count and a $6,000 fine. Uh, I believe uh, $2,700 in restitution as well. She also must, quote, testify truthfully about any co-defendants and provide all documents to the district attorney's office relevant to their case against other co-defendants, according to Fulton County Judge Scott McAfee. Keep in mind, this happened this morning, the day before she and co-defendant Kenneth Chesborough was supposed to go on trial. And now Chesborough, according to ABC News, they reported this yesterday, last month rejected a similar plea deal with the state. He is twisting in the wind. Trump's current attorney, I say current because he goes through them, uh, Steve Sadow, who is the lead counsel in the case here in Georgia, uh, tells ABC News, assuming truthful testimony in the Fulton County case, it will be favorable to my overall defense strategy. Sure, Jan. Anyway, let's give you what it sounded like in the courtroom as this plea deal went down this morning. You'll first hear the voice of District Attorney Daisha Young. Uh, Judge, the case has been accused under 23 SC 190370, count one being conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties, and counts two through six being conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties, each of these charges being misdemeanor charges. The state's recommendation on those charges on one through six is 12 months to be served on probation, each one of those counts to run consecutive to one another for a total of six years of probation. Conditions of probation is a $6,000 fine. Restitution in the amount of $2,700 to the state of Georgia. An apology letter to the state of Georgia, the citizens of the state of Georgia. Testify truthfully at all hearings and trials involving co-defendants in this matter. No communication with co-defendants, witnesses, or media until all cases have been closed as a special condition of probation that the defendant must um, provide a recorded proffer, which I will tell the court that was done last night. So we do have that and that has been satisfied. And also to provide any requested documents or evidence subject to any lawful privileges asserted in good faith prior to entering this plea. We did have that discussion with Ms. Powell and her attorney, and they do understand that they are to turn over documents to us and they agreed to do such. Those are the conditions of the probation, probated sentence, Judge. And is this, is there uh, expected to be a request here to apply the First Offender Act? Yes, the, yes, there is, Your Honor. Our okay. negotiation was uh, first offender treatment. The fines is set forth by the government along with restitution. Uh, the letter of apology, which has already also been provided 
along with the recorded proffer. The only other issue which I, I discussed with the government this morning is a similar issue that came up with Mr. Hall concerning the question of whether or not these offenses constitute crimes of moral turpitude. Um, we, we, would, we were requesting the same treatment as Mr. Hall received. I understand the government can really can't really make those sorts of determinations, but we'll take no position with respect to whether any of these offenses, which are all misdemeanors, constitute crimes of moral turpitude. Well, as I recall in Mr. Hall's uh, final disposition form, we included express wording to that effect at the request of both parties. Is that essentially what we're asking for here? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. The state's leaving it up to the court, Your Honor. We're really not taking a position on that. Okay. With the first offender, uh, Mr. Rafferty, you're requesting immediate sealing? Yes, yes, Your Honor. And uh, you'll have to remind me, this being a misdemeanor first offender, uh, do we need to impose a behavioral incentive date? And if so, what would that be? Or it's is that not necessary? That it does not apply to misdemeanor right. probation judge. Understood. And are there any issues here? Is this a, um, is this an Alfred plea or a null of any kind? No, Your Honor. Okay, Ms. Young, you can proceed. Uh, Ms. Powell, can you please raise your right hand? Do you swear or affirm the testimony you, you shall give in this matter currently before the court shall be the truth and the whole truth um, and nothing but the truth? I do. Uh, can you please state your true and correct legal name? Sydney Catherine Powell. And are you the Sydney Catherine, Catherine Powell named in accusation 23SC190370? I am. And are you currently taking any medication or under the influence of any drugs or alcohol at this time? No, I'm not. Is there any medication that you should be taking that you have not taken that may affect your ability to understand these proceedings today? No. How old are you, ma'am? Oh, gosh. <laughs> 68, despite my astonishingly youthful countenance. Got it. And what is the highest level of education that you have completed? Uh, I have a Juris Doctorate degree. Are you able to read, write, and understand the English language? Yes. And Mr. Rafferty, have you had a chance to go over the guilty plea form with Ms. Powell? I have. And did you, when you went over those the form with her, do you believe that she fully understand each and every aspect of that form? I do. Ms. Powell, do you understand the charges um, that are against you here today? I do. And Mr. Young, let me pause you there since we're on that subject. If we could tender the uh, plea form now as well. Of course. Have you? Um, just want to make sure. And Mr. Rafferty, you signed this along with your attorney, with your counsel. I have. Sorry, your client. Yes, okay. I have. Approach your. Of course. All right. Thank you. And uh, Ms. Powell, I've been handed a document that's titled a "Plea of Guilty" form. Is this uh, your signature as well on the second page? Yes, sir. Right. Yes. Thank you, ma'am. And ma'am, do you understand that this is a negotiated plea, which means that your attorney and I have reached an agreement or the state has reached an agreement as to the proposed sentence that will be made to the court? I do. Do you understand that the recommendation being made to the court as to this accusation on counts one through six, that you be sentenced to 12 months of probation to run consecutive with one another? I do. Do you understand that the state is asking that a $6,000 fine be imposed, a restitution of $2,700 be paid to the state of Georgia, an apology letter be written to the citizens of the state of Georgia that you truthfully testify at all hearings and proceedings and trials involving the co-defendants in this matter and that you have no communication with co-defendants, media, or witnesses until this case has been completely closed against all defendants. I do. 
And do you understand as a special condition of this uh, sentence that you are to provide what you've already done, a proffer, a recorded proffer to the state and provide any documents and evidence subject to any lawful privileges asserted in a good faith prior, um, prior to entering this plea? I do. And Judge, at this time, the state will enter into evidence what's been marked as state's exhibit one, which is the apology letter that Ms. Powell has already and Ms. Powell, do you understand that this court does not have to follow the state's recommendation in this case? I do. And do you understand if the court chooses not to follow the state's recommendation, then you can withdraw your guilty plea and move forward with trial on the original indictment? I do. And do you understand that if you are currently on probation or parole, your probation or parole may be revoked based on entering this guilty plea? Yes. And do you understand that if you are placed on probation of any kind, you cannot violate the law? in any way are the government or any special conditions of your probation that was subject to your probation to being revoked for the balance that is remaining. I understand. And do you understand that you are not allowed to possess um, any firearms while you're on probation? Ms. Young, are you confident that that's accurate? Is this being a misdemeanor plea that doesn't involve domestic violence or, uh, I'm not aware of a prohibition under Georgia law that would prevent her from possessing a firearm while in misdemeanor probation. Great. And Judge, I will I will candidly say I am not certain. All right. Well, how about we alter that to say that this uh, plea may affect your ability to possess a firearm? I'm fine with that. Okay. Do you understand that, Ms. Powell, that this, may, this plea to misdemeanor probation may affect your ability to possess firearms? Yes. I'm going to just back up a little bit. Um, Mr. Rafferty, have you had an opportunity to go over the accusation with your client? I have. And have you both signed this accusation? Yeah. And do you waive any defects um, that may be contained within this in, in accusation? We so waive. And have you advised Ms. Powell of the max, minimum and maximums for each of the charges within the accusation? I have. And Ms. Powell, you understand that the maximum that you could receive is 12, 12, 12 months to serve on each of the charges in the accusation? Yes. And I, it's my understanding that you're asking the court to um, sentence you under the First Offender Act. That's correct. And have you pled guilty or no low to or ever been convicted of any felonies or misdemeanor in the state of Georgia or any other jurisdiction? No. And do you understand that if you are sentenced under the First Offender Act, has your attorney gone over um, what that means and what that um, entitles? Yes. And do you understand that if you violate the terms of your first offender sentence or commit a new offense while on probation, your first offender status could be revoked, you could be adjudicated guilty, and you could be resentenced up to the maximum sentence for each charge in the accusation? Yes. Do you understand that if you successfully complete your probation under the First Offender Act and you are discharged, you can honestly say that you have never been convicted of these charges? Yes. Do you understand that you waive any and all defenses, including mental health defenses, by entering this guilty plea? Yes. And do you understand that you would have 12 months from today's date in order to file a habeas corpus? Yes. And do you understand that unless counsel is substituted or committed to withdraw, he will represent you until either the end of the term of court or 30 days from today's date, whichever is later? That's fine, yes. And do you understand that you have until the last day of the current term of court to file a motion to withdraw your guilty plea? Yes. And you understand that that term ends on November 5th of 2023? Yes. And do you understand that any of the filings you, we just discussed must be filed by your counsel unless you are representing yourself? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you are giving up the right to a trial by jury? Yes. 
Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to remain silent and not to incriminate yourself? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to confront witnesses that the state may bring to testify against you? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to assistance of counsel hired by you or to a court-appointed counsel if you cannot afford one at trial? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right of the presumption of innocence? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to testify on your own behalf and to present other evidence? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to subpoena witnesses and compel the production of evidence? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to have the charges against you proven beyond a reasonable doubt? Yes. Do you understand that by pleading guilty, you're giving up the right to appeal if convicted of these charges after trial? Yes. Has anyone forced, threatened, or promised you anything in order to enter into this guilty plea? Other than what is recited in the documents, no. How do you plead to five counts of conspiracy to commit inter, in, uh, intentional interference with the performance of election duties and one count of conspiracy to commit criminal to commit criminal trespass? Uh, the, approach for a second. We changed. The, there's the trespass count was changed, so it's only six counts. It's six counts of the first. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. I apologize. How do you plead to the six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties? Guilty. Do, do you understand that you may have a limited right to appeal, which I've gone over with you? Yes. All right, listen, I'm going to take a quick break. We're running a little late. Uh, when we come back, Daisha Young is going to lay out exactly what the state would have proven had this case gone to trial. The Roncher returns after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show Thursday, and Sidney Powell just decided I'd rather work with prosecutors on the case in Georgia against Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and several others in the election interference case brought forth by Fulton District Attorney Fonnie Willis. District Attorney Daisha Young lays out exactly what the state was going to prove in this case. And as you hear the laundry list, understand that Trump's campaign attorney, Sidney Powell, one of the loudest voices screaming that the election was stolen, that it needed to be overturned, said, uh, yeah, I can't fight any of that. Judge, if this case had gone to trial, the state would have shown that on between the dates of December 1st of 2020 and January 7th of 2021, the defendant, Sidney Powell, along with several co-conspirators entered into a conspiracy to intervene with the performance of election duties of co-defendant Misty Hampton, also known as Emily Misty Hayes. At all times relevant to the conspiracy, Misty Hampton was the elections director for Coffee County, Georgia, and was subject to all duties imposed by Chapter 2 of Title 21 of OCGA. The purpose of the conspiracy was to use Misty Hampton's position to unlawfully access secure elections machines in Coffee County, Georgia. This conspiracy included the following objectives. One, to willfully tamper with electronic ballot markers and tabulating machines. Two, to cause certain members of the conspiracy who were not officers charged by law with the care of ballots and who were not persons entrusted by any such officer with the care of ballots for, the, for a purpose required by law to possess official ballots outside of the polling place. Three, to use a computer with knowledge that such use was without authority and with the intention of taking and appropriating information, data, and software, the property of Dominion Voting Systems Corporation. Four, to use a computer with knowledge that such use was without authority and with the intention of removing voting data and Dominion Voting Systems Corporation data from said computer. 
Five, to use a computer with the intention of examining personal voter data with knowledge that such examination was without authority. Each of these constituted attempts to interfere with, hinder, and delay Missy Hampton in the performance of her election duties. In furtherance of these conspiracies, the defendant entered into a contract with Sullivan Strickler LLC in Fulton County, Georgia, and delivered a payment to Sullivan Strickler LLC in Fulton County, Georgia, and caused employees of Sullivan Strickler LLC to travel from Fulton County, Georgia, to Coffee County, Georgia, for the purpose of accomplishing the objectives of this conspiracy. These were overt acts to affect the object of the conspiracy. The data taken from Coffee County, Georgia, was distributed to members of the conspiracy and unknown persons in Georgia and elsewhere. That would be the factual basis for the charges in this case. The court, the state has um, looked at Mrs. Powell's background. She does not have any prior convictions being misdemeanors or felonies. And at this time, the state will give to the court the signed accusation. Anything else, Ms. Young? And Judge, I would just like to add, the restitution will go to the Secretary of State for the cost that was incurred for having to replace the equipment in Coffee County. It will provide payment and will provide payment information to the, to the probation office. All right. Thank you, Ms. Young. Mr. Rafferty, anything you wanted to add? No, you're wrong. Okay. Other than, you know, I, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm not sure if it was in the formal uh, signed uh, plea by Ms. Powell, but reiterating what we've already discussed, she's pleading to misdemeanors. The indictment that was filed against her will be dismissed. We'll get first offender treatment, and we will have the language in there concerning uh, crimes of moral turpitude. All right, Ms. Powell, I just have a few questions for you. Do you understand the nature of the charges that have been reaccused and that you would be pleading guilty to today? I do, sir. And you've heard all the rights that uh, the state has gone through that you would waive by going forward with this plea. Do you still wish to waive those rights? I do. And are you pleading guilty today because you agree that there is a sufficient factual basis, that there are enough facts that support this plea of guilty? I do. Mr. Rafferty, are you satisfied your client is competent in understanding that the plea is voluntary and that there is a sufficient factual basis for entering this plea? Yes, Ross. Well, I agree and find that there is a sufficient factual basis, and I find this plea of guilty to be knowingly, voluntarily, and intelligently entered. Uh, there's been a request uh, that this sentence be entered under the First Offender Act, and the court will approve that request withhold adjudication. Uh, but I must notify you, Ms. Powell, that you're not allowed to withdraw your plea simply because you do not comply with the terms of the sentence. And the terms of that sentence would be as recommended by the parties. Uh, on count one, conspiracy to commit intentional interference with the performance of election duties, the sentence would be 12 months probation. And counts two through six would also be 12 months probation consecutive to each other and to count one for a total term of essentially six years probation, but we're going to translate that into months for the sentence sheet. Special conditions would include a $6,000 fine with $1,000 for each count, restitution to be paid in the amount of $2,700. Uh, to the Secretary, Georgia Secretary of State's office. Uh, you are uh, to have written a letter, uh, which you've already satisfied. You're also to provide a recorded proffer with the state, which you've already satisfied. You're to testify truthfully uh, against any and all co-defendants in this matter at any uh, upcoming proceedings. You are not to have any communication with any witness, any co-defendant or any member of the media concerning uh, the facts or circumstances of this case. And uh, you'd provide all documents to the district attorney's office uh, as uh, requested and relevant to this case. Again, Ms. Young, I would ask uh, if you could provide 
the uh, state's recitation of the exact phrasing of these, and we'll make sure that's reflected in the final disposition form. Uh, in order to make this sentence consistent with uh, Mr. Hall, I, I do believe it would be uh, appropriate, and I'm willing to include the language uh, involving moral turpitude, uh, although that language being included on the sentence form may not ultimately have any effect on the um, entities responsible for actually determining that. Are there any other express conditions and special conditions, Ms. Young, that uh, you would like to see reflected on this sentence? I think you covered it, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rafferty, is there anything else that uh, you think needs to be on the record today? Ms. Young, uh, do you the state um, have an announcement regarding the indictment in this case? Uh, yes, Your Honor, the state will be entering an all-process order on um, indictment number 23SC188947 as it applies to Ms. Powell. All right. Well, upon being provided a copy of that motion, uh, I will sign it and the charges in the indictment will be dismissed. All right. If there's uh, nothing else, then we will uh, conclude this and be off the record. Good luck, Ms. Powell. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Reaction to Sidney Powell flipping on Donald Trump and more when we return. Plus, we'll check in on the House Circus. When the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so since around 9.30 this morning, we've known what the biggest story of the day, well, domestically, politically, what that was going to be. That would be Trump former attorney, Sidney Powell, deciding to make an about face and fold. If she were sitting at a poker table, she set her cards down and said, I'm out. And it's curious to wonder, I think, why she did so. I have a theory on that. But first, I have to point out that Trump's current Georgia attorney, Steve or Stephen Sadow, seems to think that her doing so today is going to work in his favor. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but I can appreciate the optimism. Uh, there are some working theories about what makes what Sidney Powell did today work for Donald Trump. And it could be that now that Kenneth Chesborough is, again, twisting in the wind on his own, going to trial tomorrow, unless before tomorrow he caves as well, it could be that watching Chesborough go through trial actually gives Trump's attorney, or team of attorneys, the opportunity to watch the prosecution's case and even the demeanor of those who testify, who now will include Sidney Powell, and to prepare for his trial separately, which, of course, he's delaying as much as he can. Former federal prosecutor Harry Sandick said as much to Reuters, saying that it's not necessarily going to make it impossible for the prosecutors, but on balance, it is definitely better for Trump. Hmm. Another former federal prosecutor by the name of Chris Mattel said his lawyers will be able to observe the demeanor of witnesses, which definitely gives him, them, an advantage in preparing their cross-examination and building their defense. I was on a call earlier today with 
Susan Greenhall from Free Speech for People. We've had her on the show a couple, three times. She has been covering the Coffee County breach at great length and for quite a while and has been on the drumbeat to make sure that everyone knows that this breach, this, this one little breach, is likely not an isolated incident. It's more than likely an interstate incident. And that Sidney Powell... Knowing about it, which she just confessed to and pled guilty for today, may have discussed this, likely discussed this, with Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump in the Oval Office. How do I know that? Well, there's already been testimony to that end during the January 6th committee hearings. This from Nicole Wallace on Deadline White House five months ago. Looking back at why we're looking back on this insane meeting and the insane things that were discussed. So insane that Pat Cipollone doesn't know why he has to tell the January 6th Select Committee why it was such a terrible idea. Well, why, other than just sheer disbelief that it ever happened in the first place, is because it is now being recognized as a potential new front of criminal exposure for the twice impeached, now indicted ex-president himself. According to a brand new letter to DOJ and the FBI from a legal advocacy group called Free Speech for People, since Trump was presiding over that meeting and heard about this plan, this idea to seize the machines, he was, quote, at a minimum, aware of the unlawful multi-state plot, end quote. The letter cites the transcript of Derek Lyons' testimony to the 1-6 Select Committee. Lyons served as White House Staff Secretary, and he spoke about how Rudy Giuliani specifically mentioned getting access to voting machines in Georgia in order to find evidence of fraud. The letter from Free Speech for People continues, quote, less media and public attention have been focused on the fact that the testimony also includes references to a parallel plan for non-governmental individuals and entities to access voting systems. Mm. The stated goal of this effort to gain access to software and electronic data was to help construct narratives that would support overturning the election. The plan did proceed and after a few failed attempts was executed to successfully obtain copies of voting system software in Michigan and in Georgia. All of this boils down to what the New York Times describes this way in reporting over the weekend, quote, allies of Trump ultimately succeeded in copying the election software in those two states. And the breach of voting data in Georgia is being examined by prosecutors as part of a broader criminal investigation into whether Trump and his allies interfered in the presidential election there. The ex-president's participation in the discussion of the Georgia plan could increase his risk of possible legal exposure there. Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren is a member of the January 6th committee, and she was a guest on that same show, Deadline White House, and affirmed that the letter's conclusions were valid, saying that there was no question Donald Trump was aware of this plot. Mark Harris was another guest on that show and an investigator for the January 6th committee, and he told Nicole Wallace that Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, quote, assured the president that there was another plan that he had in the works, and that was to get the machines voluntarily. He went on to say, and as you see in that letter from Free Speech for People, that you cited, through civil litigation in Georgia, some details about what actually happened in Georgia have come out. And there's video showing that Georgia election officials allowed Trump allies to access the machines, seize the hard drives, and those hard drives have been disseminated, and they're out, as one memo on the subject said, in the wild. Fairly confident that at that meeting, that topic was brought up with the then 
president. And by the way, while we're at it, let's kudos to free speech for people for staying on this because you got to remember, in fact, I think Nicole Wallace framed it perfectly. The January 6th committee was wrapping up and just getting as much information out as possible before Kevin McCarthy's sweaty palm would hit the Bible to be sworn in as Speaker of the House. Here's how she framed this question, actually, to that guest. I mean, to be honest, I have heard from a lot of people who have pointed me toward things that were in the transcripts that maybe didn't get a lot of attention. And, and for, for, you know, in defense of the committee, it was literally being shut down, pushing out information as the as Kevin McCarthy was getting ready for his um, what turned out to be ludicrous run run for the speakership. But what is it about the, the four referrals and the fact that there isn't really public evidence um, that anything is, is imminent from, from Jack Smith that you think makes groups jumpy and makes them feel like they have to take this step of saying, hey, hey, look here. Well, this, is, this has been going on for over a year now of, of people who feel that based on what they've seen, that charges should be brought uh, and they're not happy with the pace at which things are developing. And so uh, oftentimes we, we see reports or people speaking out publicly saying, well, nothing's happening. Jack Smith isn't doing anything or what's Fannie Willis up to? And then something will come out, a public a report that people were before the grand jury or there's litigation that reveals that these folks are busy and they are doing their jobs. I was a federal prosecutor for many years and I know that sometimes things don't don't work at the pace that that <laughs> certain victims or the public wants to see, but uh, it's moving. And I think the story you just broke at the beginning of this uh, segment suggests that, uh, as, as uh, uh, Senator McCaskill said, maybe it's, it, it's slower than she would like, but things are happening. And, and she seems like, Ms. Willis seems like she has a timetable in mind. Keep in mind, that clip, that interview with Mark Harris and Nicole Wallace on Deadline White House was from April 24th of this year. So fast forward to today, Sidney Powell, who since then and long before then has been maintaining her innocence. She caves to prosecutors. She accepts a plea deal. Six guilty pleas. Probation for what? Six years plus. More than $8,700 in restitution and fines. And now she's going to be testifying, cooperating with prosecutors against the other 17 defendants. One of them, Donald Trump. So what happened in the last three to four days, I'd say, to make Sidney Powell go from, I'm confident I can defend myself against these charges to, uh-oh, I'm in some deep shit. I better take a plea deal. Well, I believe it goes back to emails that were, oops, deleted by Coffee County. Count The county itself saying that they did not have their election supervisor, Misty Hampton, did not have her emails from this period. Couldn't find them. Oh, we we delete things after a while, blah, blah, blah. blah. Really? You delete things after just two, three years? Yeah, so the GBI kept pressing. Well, can we have her laptop? Oh, uh, yeah, we, we don't have her laptop. Okay, cool. We're going to come in and get her desktop. They came in, got her desktop, did a forensic audit, and lo and behold, they were able to find a treasure trove of emails. CNN reported this just, I want to say, two, three days ago. Yeah, this from Tuesday. A trove of emails and documents uncovered by state investigators looking into a voting systems breach in Georgia is being turned over to the 
Fulton County prosecutors who brought the sweeping racketeering case against former President Donald Trump and his allies, allies like Sidney Powell. More than 15,000 emails and documents connected to Misty Hampton, the former election supervisor for Coffee County, were discovered this month by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation after attorneys for the Rural County's Board of Elections claimed the information had been, oops, lost. Hampton has been charged alongside Trump and 17 other co-defendants, according to CNN, with trying to subvert the 2020 election results in Georgia. She has been accused of facilitating the unlawful breach of Coffee County's voting systems. Article continues, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation had been looking into the Coffee County incident since the summer of 2022. Earlier this month, the agency completed its investigation and gave the case file to Fulton County prosecutors to be included as part of the discovery to be turned over to defendants in the Trump election interference case. While it's unclear what's in the trove of emails and documents, CNN writes, the Coffee County breach features prominently in the Fulton County indictment. Prosecutors say Trump allies illegally breached the voting systems in hopes of finding proof that the election was fraudulent. Prosecutors also have evidence tying Trump campaign lawyers to the breach. Here you go. Sidney Powell, the former Trump campaign attorney charged with crime stemming from the Coffee County voting systems breach, has centered her defense around the claim that access to the data was authorized by Misty Hampton. Powell and pro-Trump lawyer Kenneth Chesborough are the first two defendants, this was three days ago, two days ago, to go to trial with jury selection set to begin Friday. Now, in text messages previously obtained by CNN, Hampton allegedly gave Trump attorneys, quote, a written invitation to access Georgia voting systems. No, Stephen Sadow represents Donald Trump and has to give the good lawyer speak, but this can't possibly have been a good day for Donald Trump. But it's also, I believe, not a good day for Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who has been doggedly determined in telling us that election security is nothing to be concerned about in this state, and yet we haven't gone to a new voting system vendor, despite the fact that the Coffee County breach gave that software to people who intended to use it for nefarious means. And we have no idea who they gave it to. What domestic or even foreign entities now have a copy of that software to run on their own computers to figure out where its weaknesses might be, or to create weaknesses on its own. And so, yes, while it may seem counterintuitive for us in 2023 to be rejecting touchscreens and computers to interact with on Election Day, right now, at the very minimum, it feels like the safe bet is for we the people to go back to paper ballots while this case and all the ramifications from it, all the ripples in the water, are evened out, ironed out, and disappear. And by the way, there are rumblings of legislative efforts to put Georgia back into the paper ballot game. It's just ironic that the Dominion voting system uh, that has been under fire since the end of the 2020 cycle, under fire by Republican supporters of Donald Trump, is now compromised by the same supporters of Donald Trump. One such Georgia Senate measure that I saw was introduced by Max Byrne from Sylvania, Georgia. It gives voters the option of requesting a paper ballot to hand mark. Uh, They're going to discuss that bill at a meeting, I believe, on December 1st when the Senate Ethics Committee convenes. Uh, It'll also 
give that committee an opportunity to look at Raffensperger's decision to wait until after 2024 to upgrade Dominion's software. I don't quite understand why in the 12 and a half month window that we have now to alleviate ourselves from any suspicion of wrongdoing on anyone's part after the software is now out amongst whomever that the Secretary of State can't just punt on 2024 and use some other means for us to vote on a key election in November 2024. Easy for me to say, right? I'm just sitting here on the sidelines. I'm not the Secretary of State. I don't know the ramifications. I don't know how to coordinate with 159 counties who are putting together uh, elections through their elections offices and elections boards, et cetera, and so on. I just know that I, Brad Raffensperger and those election supervisors have 12 and a half months to figure out an alternative. And instead, he's standing pat and has been on this for more than six months, which is just time wasted to fix this so that the 2024 results we'll accept with a little bit more certainty and a lot less scrutiny. And at the end of the day, I can't help but wonder if that's not the overall goal for the underbelly of the MAGA movement in the first place. They obviously don't want people to trust in government, but when you're on the side of the party that loses popular votes, what, seven of the last eight, eight of the last nine, I can't even keep count, and have to rely on gerrymandering to hold state houses and Congress, is eroding the nation's confidence in election results also a goal? It's The Ron Show, back after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show for Thursday. Uh, interestingly enough, by the way, in today's jolt column at the AJC, AJC.com, both Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Governor Brian Kemp are rejecting calls for the paper ballot option. And listen, I can kind of understand what they're saying here. We don't want to add another option on Election Day or even during early voting for the poll workers to have to deal with. I myself don't like the option, one or the other. I like the option of one. One being anything other than the current system in use now that we know that at least Coffee County was breached and that the software is out there for God knows whoever to do God knows what with to tamper with our election. And in Georgia, we know we are a purplish state. We are a swing state. If the 2024 presidential election comes down to this one state, are we all just going to hold our breath and accept the results knowing that this breach occurred? And again, we have no idea who may have access to tampering with the results. I'm telling you, they've got till October of next year, I think, to work this out. We've got to figure out something that gives confidence to the results of the 2024 election. All right, I have talked all show about Sidney Powell, Coffee County, election breach, et cetera, and so on. And I've got just a few more minutes. So, uh, you know what? We're starting to see some uh, some smoke where there may be fire or maybe there's some gray clouds rolling in for some storms uh, that we are about to deal with. We are seeing, especially on the commercial real estate side, some uh-ohs. How about the uh, foreclosure? 18 properties advertised for foreclosure as part of a South Downtown Atlanta developer's uh, broader plans. There was this deal to revive downtown 
in this huge redevelopment project. And now 18 of the properties are listed by the German firm Newport RE as being in foreclosure. That's not all, though. How about this? Let's go to another headline in today's AJC. Midtown site for luxury condo tower Opus Place listed for foreclosure. That one supposedly uh, slated to be near the Woodruff's Art Center never got off the ground. We're also seeing uh, the highest mortgage interest rates since the year 2000. I sigh because I am, as if you've listened to the show enough, you know I've said this, I am a residential real estate agent, a realtor. And the uh, long-term uh, American mortgage rate has surged to 7.63%, the highest level, again, since 2000. And it's sort of causing some headaches in the residential real estate game. Couple this with Americans living on the credit card at some pretty extreme numbers. And now you start to get concerned about the long-term prospects for not just the American economy, but the global economy. Because as much as we'd like to isolate ourselves, what happens to us tends to happen to the rest of the world. And in a much less manner, we've seen, at least in the Biden presidency, what happens to the rest of the world doesn't necessarily come back to wash up on us. If our commercial real, and I firmly believe that commercial real estate, office space is not as much needed anymore. Folks aren't having to go to work as much, if at all, maybe three days a week instead of five. And uh, office space is just sitting vacant in a lot of complexes that have been built in the last decade or more. So we're, we're seeing uh, an adjustment period in commercial real estate. And we also see a heightened need for housing in the United States. We have multi-generational families living atop each other right now. I think at historic levels in this country, folks are less inclined to want to buy a home with, again, historic interest rates. Oh, I don't want to buy it 7.6%. I shouldn't have to. I saw people buying it for 25 and 3% just two years ago. Okay, that too is historic, and we may never see that in our lifetimes again. Likely never to see that in our lifetimes again. And if we do, we're going to deal with some sort of economic calamity that leads us to that point again. Who's wishing on that, right? Well, the truth is, Republicans might be wishing on that for the next 11, 12 months or so, because they believe they'd benefit from that. And the president does pull poorly on the economy, despite the fact that, again, we've managed to avoid what the rest of the world has already had to deal with, I tell potential buyers all the time, though, if you are waiting to buy a home for interest rates to come down, guess who else is? Everybody else. And so when interest rates do climb back down to, I don't know, 5.5%, well, 5%, 4.5%, work for you, when they do get low again, like, well, I say low enough, like that again, and you do decide you want to buy again, everybody else is going to do the same thing. And the thing about supply and demand is the supply is not going to grow significantly. Home builders see this attitude and they're like, well, I'm not building houses because who's going to buy it? They don't want to buy it at 7.6%. So the supply is not going to get a whole lot better, but the demand's going to peak. So what you do want to buy when the rates do get low enough for you, that price is going to spike because the demand is high. So you still don't win. What do I, a realtor, suggest? Well, if you need to buy a home now, buy a home now. Yeah, the interest rate's not great. It's not what it was two years ago. You'd love to have that, but you're not going to get that, at least not now. However, when you do buy a home at 7.6% and rates drop to 5.6%, you can refinance your home to get that rate. I also just happen to know how much the real estate market affects the rest of the American economy. 
And again, we're living beyond our means and putting things on the credit card because of inflation, again, which we are dealing with at historic levels in this country, although not as bad as they were a year ago, but less so than the rest of the world. And yet we've got folks who need to buy houses that aren't buying houses. Owning a home is your family's best way to grow personal and generational and familial wealth through equity. It's always been that way in this country. I know this sounds like a commercial. It really isn't. But if you do have questions, don't hesitate to hit me up. Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725 at ronshowatl on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, or Facebook as well if you want to reach out to me that way. Just make sure when you do buy a home, you don't buy above your means, buy at or slightly below your means so that you are insulated if the economy does take a little bit of a dip in the next 12 to 24 months. All right. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Afterwards, I do like I always do. I park the entire show via podcast on all the podcast platforms that are available to you. Show notes as well at ronshowatl.com. So I'll see you next time. Have a great one.